Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. We're going to continue with our sixth reading this morning as we continue with Lent. And Lent is a time where we just prepare our hearts for Easter, for that Resurrection Sunday, as we just consider that. God made very sure that we can understand who he is and what he's like and what he wants for us and what he wants from us. He did this by sending his son, Jesus. Now, we don't just have the written word. We have the living word, a real person. When people watched Jesus, they were seeing God himself. But even God himself, God in the person, was rejected. People hated him and rejected his message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. But he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. That's from the word of God. Morning. Uh, This morning we are going to be doing sort of the typical Palm Sunday thing. And what I mean by that is this morning we're going to be looking at what is called the triumphal entry Of Jesus into Jerusalem. So we're going to look at it in uh, John 12. And so you can go ahead and turn there with me. Um, John, specifically John 12, 12 through 19. I'm going to go ahead and read that for us. I'm going to start in John 12, 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there in Jerusalem, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, we desire earnestly this morning, God, to hear from your word, Lord, and to hear from you. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would speak through me, speak through your word. 
um, to each person here, Lord. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here. You know where each of us is at, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to each person here. Speak to them in their need, Lord. Speak to them in their specific situations. Lord, meet us this morning uh, in your word, God. Teach us, lead us, guide us, Father, as we listen for your voice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, this morning we're looking at what is called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I'm not so sure that's a good name for it, but since that's the kind of typical name, we're going to go with that. Um, Now, in the course of this sermon... We really, I really want to dig into this, this event. What is the triumphal entry? There's basically two questions I want to answer. Why is it so important, and what does it mean? I think a lot of times, this is kind of one of those stories, if we do know, if you kind of grew up in the church, that just gets kind of relegated to the section of, well, that's a nice Sunday school story. But it's not one that we really study a lot or think that there's a lot of depth to. It's just, I mean, Jesus kind of went into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? I mean, what's the big deal, like? Okay, and everyone is really excited, right? But there's a lot more to it, and it really is very important. And to kind of demonstrate that, what you find out as you begin to, to um, inspect and investigate this, this story is you realize that it's found in all four gospel accounts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And that's actually pretty rare. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are are pretty similar. John is a lot different than them. And the reason for that is that there's four different people writing. And so you get four different views of what happened. And that's actually really amazing because it wouldn't be very believable if they all said exactly the same things, right? That would be pretty clearly made up. So we get four different views on, on everything. And so what's interesting is they don't all include the same stories. There are certain stories that just might be in John, certain stories that just might be in Matthew, Mark, just might be in Matthew and Luke, and so on. And so as you begin to examine which kind of stories are included in all four Gospels, there's only 11 things that make it into this list. There's only 11 things that all four writers saw fit to put into their Gospels, their biographies of Jesus, if you will. Those 11 things are this. The baptism of John the Baptist the feeding of the 5,000, Peter's profession of faith, Jesus' anointing by Mary, the triumphal entry, the Last Supper, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus on trial before the the Sanhedrin and and Pilate, Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' burial, and Jesus' resurrection. And so what we realize as we look at that list is those are pretty much all of the main parts of the story. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times, the triumphal entry doesn't get as much focus as some of those other things do, which is unfortunate because it's actually very important, the extremely important event in Jesus' life, as we see, as all the authors saw fit to include it. So we're going to look this morning at at why is it so important? That's the first question I want to answer. What's the big deal? And this is something that I think it's easy for us to miss in our culture and our time. So let's take a look at this. Because we realize if we miss this, we've missed a huge part of Jesus' life. And that's not good. As Christians, we're supposed to know a lot about Jesus, right? We want to know him. We want to know who he was. And this is extremely important in that endeavor. So here's what I decided to do. As I was reading through John and reading through Matthew, Mark, and Luke and all their accounts of events, they do. They, they take a different approach to it. 
and they include some different things. So what I want to do is kind of tell the story, and what I've done is I've kind of gone through each gospel, and I've created my own version that includes everything from all the stories, so we can get the fullest picture of what happened on that day. So let me set the stage here as we kind of explain the story and go in depth of what happened on this day. So here's what's been going on in Jesus' life up to this point. Remember, this is taking place on the week before he dies. This takes place most likely on a Sunday. He's going to die on a Friday. So it's very close to his death. So up until this point, Jesus has spent most of his ministry in Galilee, which is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. It's about a five-day walk, the way they would travel back then. So he's actually spent most of his time outside of Jerusalem in this region called Galilee. And now Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're going to be traveling to Jerusalem for Passover, as all good Jews would do in those days. And so as he's going along this road, there would be many Jewish travelers making the same journey he was. And so as you see, as you read through the Gospels, what he's doing as he's traveling along is he's healing He's, he's opening blind people's eyes. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel of God. And he's actually attracting quite a following as he goes along on his journey with his disciples. Some pretty sensational things he's doing. Some, some of his words and his miracles um, are, are extraordinary. And so probably the most notable thing, though, that he does on this last journey to Jerusalem, remember, he knows he's going to die. The most notable thing he does is raising Lazarus from the dead. That's a big deal. We're not going to go into depth on that story, but the the significant thing for us this morning is that it actually takes place very close to Jerusalem, about two miles outside of Jerusalem in this town called Bethany. Now, it was so near, in fact, as we just saw in John, the reason that Jerusalem is kind of in a, a stir right now is because people had heard that Jesus had did this. There were a lot of people that saw Lazarus raised from the dead. I love, in the passage before this, it just kind of casually mentions that Lazarus was sitting at the table with him. I mean, this guy had just been dead. And he wasn't just dead. He was dead for four days before Jesus raised him from the dead. Mary even says, "Uh, you might not want to open the tomb. It's probably going to smell. He's that dead. So it was quite the miracle. And so the point about that is it was not a mistake. Jesus chose to raise Lazarus from the dead at a very important time. He knew that this was going to create a buzz about Jerusalem. He knew that at this time, Jerusalem was going to be filled with pilgrims. And he knew that this was essentially going to be one of the last straws for the Pharisees. Um, You see, when when the Pharisees, we read in John, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and they saw what had created the stir amongst the people, they decided that it was time. They had to do something. They had to act drastically. They were afraid they were going to lose their power. They had. And so... What we see is it's kind of this building tension throughout the Gospels, right? And the Pharisees had even decreed now, before we come to our passage, the Pharisees had decreed that if anyone saw Jesus to let them know, because they wanted to take him and arrest him. And so now we kind of come to the events that take place in this story. So the stage is is set in Jerusalem now. In the first century, it's Passover week. And all the good Jews are migrating to Jerusalem. This was a mandatory celebration. If you were a Jew, you had to come, no matter how far you had to travel, this time in the year, you had to come for this week into Jerusalem to celebrate. And so the the historians estimate that the population of Jerusalem at this time was probably about 50,000 people. Well, during Passover week, the population swelled to over 120,000. 
from everyone coming in. So you can imagine. I mean, imagine if the population of our city of Orange here just more than doubled just like that. It would be crazy. I mean, it just wouldn't be a, there'd be a lot of trouble. And so there's already just some tension. But now add to that this fact that this guy has been walking around healing people, and now everyone's been hearing that he just raised somebody from the dead. There's quite a tension in the town. John even describes it as people are kind of walking around going, where's Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Is he coming? Do you know if he's coming? Um, People want to see. A lot of people are curious. Some are excited. Some are angry. Like, who does this guy think he is? And so there's a buzz in the town. Many of the people in Jerusalem, John tells us, had even witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The thought was going through their mind, could, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that God has been promising us for, for thousands of years since the beginning of time who would come and rescue Israel? Could this finally be him? A lot of people were looking for him and anticipating his entry. They wanted to see what this was about. And on top of this, the Pharisees, like I said earlier, had decided that they were going to kill Jesus. Now they knew that they couldn't just out and out kill him because the people were kind of on his side at this point. So they knew they had to do something. They haven't decided what yet, but they were conspiring. What's interesting is the Jews in Jerusalem, now remember, think of Jerusalem at this time. There's people that are in the city that live there. And there's people, there's more people actually in the city that come from all over. And what we find out too is the people that were not from Jerusalem tended to view Jesus as very positive. They, they loved him. The people in Jerusalem, though, weren't so sure. So again, that just creates even more tension. And so now, as we kind of get to our story, we go out and we meet Jesus and his disciples on their journey. Imagine a, a dusty road about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Like I said, they're, they're traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, Passover was when the Jews celebrated God saving them from slavery in the land of Egypt by killing the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. And remember, the Spirit of God passed over the houses of the Jews that had the lamb's blood on the doors. That's what they're celebrating. Well, most likely, it was a Sunday afternoon. As Jesus and his band of followers traveled along on foot, all of a sudden, Jesus stops. You see... His entire ministry, if you think back, if you know anything about it, if not, that's okay, but his entire ministry, he'd kind of been hiding and running. Don't, don't tell people who I am. You know, he'd heal people. Don't say anything. Um, even when Peter confesses that he's the Messiah, he says, don't tell anybody yet. Well, this is the point that everything changes. And so they're traveling along, and Jesus stops. And sensing the Spirit's leading, I think Jesus now knew that the time had come in which he must fully unveil who he was publicly. This is, he's going public right now. And so he decided to do it in a very important, intentional way. And so what he did was he, he selected two of his disciples, it doesn't tell us who, called them over to himself, and he gave them special instructions. And this is what he told them. He said, okay, guys, go into that village that is in front of us, and the first thing you will see is a donkey tied to a post, and with a donkey, a young colt, or the donkey's baby. And no one has ever ridden on this colt. Now, when you find the two animals, untie them and bring them to me. If the owners or anyone else bothers you about taking the animals, just say this to them. The Lord has need of them, and they will let you take them. So you can imagine the two disciples are probably a little confused and caught off guard. Um, Okay. Uh, Sure. You know, at this point, they probably realize that sometimes Jesus says things that confuses them, but we'll we'll just go with it. Um, So they go into the village, and sure enough, first thing when they enter, that's what they find. 
they find a donkey and its colt tied to a post. And so I can almost imagine, can you just imagine them almost looking at each other like, well, see, there it is, you know. Um, and I can imagine their feeling too is they kind of are probably a little hesitant to just walk up and take somebody's donkey. I mean, that's like stealing, right? And so, but they go. They go and they untie, they begin to untie the donkey and the colt. Sure enough, the owners notice and come over to them. And, it, you know, the owners say, what are, you do what are you doing? Those aren't your animals, those are ours. And so the disciples really have no other option. They just go with what Jesus told them to do. So they said, uh, the Lord has need of them. And the owners say, oh, okay, well, bring them back when you're done, basically. And so the disciples just lead the animals out of the village, back to Jesus. And you can imagine what they were feeling. This probably wasn't the first time they had seen Jesus work miracles like this. Now, because the colt had no saddle or anything, the disciples kind of fashioned one out of their coats, their tunics. And as they brought it to Jesus, some of his other disciples began to help him up onto the donkey. Now, just a quick note. He's going to ride the younger donkey. Now, the, the mother would be with him. They didn't separate those animals. They would have led the mother along as Jesus rode on the smaller one. And so as they help him up on the donkey and they see him sitting up on the donkey, which donkeys aren't very big, so he's not like up high like on a horse. I mean, your feet are almost dragging on the ground. Um, especially, it's a colt. It's a young one. So as they see him sitting on the donkey, though, you can almost sense that these scriptures are coming to their mind. Specific scriptures they remember about the king coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so as they see him, I think they begin to realize, guys, this is, this is it. This is happening. They've been waiting for this moment. See, the disciples, they knew he was the Messiah. But they were still waiting for him to proclaim that publicly. And they begin to realize what is happening. And so they begin to get really excited. Now coming down the Mount of Olives, you can see Jerusalem. You're up on a hill, you can see all of Jerusalem. And so people in Jerusalem can see him. And they can see this crowd kind of gathering around him. Now remember, they're also waiting for Jesus. They're kind of excited. And so as they see him, word quickly spreads about what's happening. They begin to pour out of the city to greet him. So as they ran, they picked up palm branches from the nearby trees. And palm branches are very important in this story. What we know now is that palm branches were actually a sign of Jewish nationalism. So when the Jews had wars with Rome, when they would print their own coins, they would have palm branches on them. It was almost like their flag in a sense. So they were saying, yes, it is time for the glory of Israel to return, and they're waving palm branches. And so they, they lay down their cloaks on the ground. They're creating this kind of red carpet for their king coming into the city. And as he rides, they start yelling out scriptures, saying things like, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Glory in the highest. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. You are the king of Israel. Some of the Pharisees, hearing these words, knew exactly what was going on. You see, what these people were doing by yelling out these things, essentially they were saying, you are the Messiah. You are the promised one. You are the chosen one. Now, the Pharisees hearing this, they didn't like this because they didn't think Jesus was a Messiah. And so they, they go up to Jesus and they say, you better tell them to stop this because they think you're the Messiah. Tell them that you're not. And what does Jesus say? Jesus simply continues on his way into the city saying, even if they are silent, creation itself will declare who I am. There is no denying it anymore. And so the whole city of Jerusalem is in an uproar. 
Some were excited and really happy. Some were furious. The Pharisees themselves realized that this is it. The time to act is now. They began conspiring. Jesus continued into the city. And as he continued, Luke adds an interesting note. He says, Jesus began to weep loudly. And it's not just a, when we think of weep, sometimes we just kind of think of, you know, maybe a tear here or there. But, but really the word connotes this kind of, this inner anguish. And he began to weep loudly because he knows that they would reject him. And he even says, oh, Jerusalem, if you would only recognize your king, because he knows that they won't, and he knows that it will cost him dearly, and it costs him great sorrow. So that's our story this morning. Obviously, there's so much we can learn from this. But again, I want to answer these, these two questions. Why is this so important, and what does it mean? Number one, it proves that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, there's other passages that do this, but this is a very important one. In other words, it fulfilled the prophecies of Scripture. It shows us that Jesus, by entering Jerusalem this specific way, was fulfilling all the Scriptures that were written about the promised Messiah. Now, Messiah is a Jewish word. Messiah just means anointed one. Christ is the Greek version of Messiah. It just means anointed one. Christ isn't Jesus' last name or something. It's a title. It's a kingly title. It means Jesus, Messiah. Um, and what the Jews believed at this time was that the Messiah, I mean, the Messiah is literally, Jesus says later that the whole Old Testament was about him. And it is. The whole Old Testament is Israel waiting for this promised one to come and, and rescue them. Now, the Jews at this time had interpreted that politically. They thought this Messiah, they were waiting because they were tired of the Romans. They said, man, we can't wait till the Messiah comes, crushes the Romans, and restores the glory of the empire of Israel. And Jesus had a very different plan in mind. And so listen to the words of Zechariah 9.9. Now, this is one of the prophets, and this is what was coming to their mind as they saw him on the donkey. This is what Zechariah 9.9 says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, even. The fowl of a donkey. Foal of a donkey. Which means, you know, baby. So this is what's known as a messianic prophecy. Now, there's many of these in the Old Testament. We heard some in the Lenten reading. Now, this is something that every Jew worth his salt in those days would know. They would know the scripture. And they would know that this is about the Messiah. And again, they thought the Messiah would free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. That's why they were so excited for Jesus. They were like, yes, he is going to just enter into the temple. We're going to kick Pilate out of here, and we're going to take this place over. They were ready. He could have had an army like that. They were sick of the Romans. And so what we find out is there is a sense in which the Messiah is going to do this. But see, they don't realize that that's going to happen way in the future when Jesus returns a second time. And some, some will understand this and some won't. But you see, it's really important that we understand this concept of Messiah. And I think a lot of times, you know, we've kind of lost that, that Jewish concept because we're not Jewish. But this is really important because for most of his ministry, this is what Jesus is saying. I am the Messiah. And this is what Paul and Peter and those guys will try to convince people of in their evangelism is Jesus is the Messiah. And so we need to understand this concept of Messiah. This is the gospel that Paul will preach, is that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, he'll, of course, he'll go on to explain that. But we can't miss this. If we miss this, we miss the gospel. And so to repeat, we have to understand, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the king of Israel. 
second reason why it's important is it shows that the Jews knew that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. Now, they didn't all believe that he was the Messiah, but it shows that they clearly knew that that's what he was claiming. This is similar, but it's different. So by this act, by him riding on the donkey into Jerusalem, and all these things that he was doing, they knew what he was claiming. That's why they told him to stop. That's why they were mad. There was no mistaking it now. He was publicly showing all the Jews, I am the Messiah. Now again, they didn't all believe him, but it was clear. And so by this act, going public, he's made it official. His declaration is official. No one in Jerusalem, no Jew can now say, we didn't know. We didn't know he was the Messiah. He's taken away all innocence in that regard. So that's the second reason why it's so important. And the third reason is this. It marks a very significant change in Jesus' ministry. One of the reasons why this event stands out is so strange to us is because in the story of Jesus' life, it's so different than his kind of standard operating procedures. Think about it. For the larger parts of his ministry, he's running away from the crowds and hiding and don't tell them and, you know, keep it secret. In Matthew 12, 15, it says this. Jesus, aware of this, the crowds, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make it known. In Matthew 16, 20, it says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. See, but this is why it marks a change. He will no longer keep quiet. He knows that now is the time. In fact, if you go on to read the chapters that take place after the triumphal entry in all the Gospels, They'll show it differently, but they all show it. You will see that Jesus kind of ups the ante. He gets even more in the face of the Pharisees now. It would be an understatement to say that he makes his opinion of them publicly known, which, by the way, isn't a very flattering opinion of them. In Matthew, he publicly, in front of everybody, condemns them in the eyes of God. Now, these are the rulers, right? He declares to them that they have rejected God, the God they claim to worship. In other words, he pulls out all the stops. He's no longer trying to be secret. He publicly goes into the temple, tells the Pharisees, you guys are wrong, and I'm the Messiah. Now, I mean, this is a death sentence. This is a death sentence. He knows, he knows exactly what he's doing. And so what we see is he's set up once and for all an undeniable choice. Trust Jesus as a Messiah, or trust the words of men. Jesus is who he says he is, or he's not. There's only two options. That's it. That's the same for us today. He either is who he says he is, or he's not. And so he stirred the Pharisees intentionally to anger and the people into a frenzy that he knows will end in his death. And so that's why this is important. That's why Jesus entering this way into Jerusalem on the last week of his life is important. It proves that he's the Messiah. It proved that everyone knew he was claiming to be the Messiah, and it marked a very significant change in his ministry. Now let's look at the second question. So what does this mean? We know why it's important now, but what does it mean? What does it, what does it teach us about Jesus? Well, for one thing, it teaches us that Jesus is a king, as we heard. Now, of course, get this sometimes. A lot of times, though, we kind of see Jesus as you know, this meek and mild kind of hippie Jesus. I mean, that's not the Jesus of the scriptures. It says Jesus is a king. This is what it shows us. He really was claiming to be the king. They rightly understood that. They just didn't understand what that would look like. So when they say, you are the king of Israel, they're right. They just were wrong about what that would look like. And so we sing songs about Jesus being king, you know, king of kings. We may read books about this. But I wonder if we think about this often. 
Jesus is a king, and of course he's not just any king. He's king of all kings. Remember Matthew, he says, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me. All authority, everything, has been given to him over everyone, unbelievers and believers. And so now we see, well, what kind of king is he? He's a king that enters riding a donkey. And so normally what we hear taught on this is that the whole donkey thing is about being humble. Well, he's a humble king, which that's true. He is a humble king, but that's not what the donkey represents. You see, if you examine the Old Testament, you see there's actually a couple stories of kings riding in on donkeys to Jewish cities. And what we find out is that the donkey was actually something that the king rode in a time of peace. So the king would ride in on a horse, you know, his war horse with his chariots and his, his army when it was a time of war, when he was a conquering king. But when it was a time of peace, he rode a donkey. This wasn't necessarily a symbol of him humbling himself. Again, he was humble. We know that from other scriptures, but not here. In ancient Near East, kings rode donkeys and mules all the time during times of peace. You can actually see this. In 1 Kings 1, 33-34 says this, and it's talking about King Solomon's coronation ceremony. This is David speaking. He says, And the king said to them, Take with your servants, take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gahon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. So, Yes, Jesus is humble, incredibly humble. But he rides a donkey because at that time, he wasn't coming as a conquering king. He wasn't coming as a military king. He was coming as a peaceful king. Remember the prophecy from Zechariah that we read earlier? If you continue on in Zechariah, what you find out is it talks about the Messiah as one who throws away all the weapons and brings an era of peace. This is what Jesus was coming to do. Remember he said, I don't come to condemn, I come to save. That's a paraphrase, but the idea is this time his entry into Jerusalem is an entry of peace. He's declaring peace between God and men. Remember the angels on the night of his birth say, glory to God in the highest, and peace to all men on whom God's favor rests. This is the peace he's declaring. Peace between men and God. Secondly, we know that it means this, that the Jews thought he was going to conquer the Romans then and there. That's why they brought out the palm branches. So they might have well brought out an Israelite flag. Now, obviously, they didn't have that back then, but that's what they were doing. It wasn't just some random foliage they found. They meant something very specific. And notice this also, that as the Jews shout the praises to Jesus, they're quoting a scripture. They're quoting Psalm 118. That's where the Hosanna which means save us, it kind of, at this time it kind of meant just like a praise and like, yes, this is, yes, this is awesome. And so they're quoting Psalm 118. Now what's interesting about their quote of Psalm 118 is they actually add words to the scripture. And the part they add is, blessed is the king of Israel. That's not in the original scripture. Now what's interesting about that is they're essentially saying, yes, this is the Messiah, he's coming, he's going to be the king of Israel, let's make this guy king, let's do it. We're done with the Romans. Now, again, this was true, of course, but not in the sense they wanted. They were ready to anoint him king then and there. They wanted victory now. But what happened when Jesus didn't fulfill their expectations? What happened when they realized that, that Jesus was not 
was not there to give them the kind of kingdom that they wanted. They turned on him. Where they once shouted praise, now these shouts of praise turn into shouts of crucify him, crucify him. But you see, even by this ceremony and these cryings out and these praises, Jesus was not fooled. This is why he weeps. He knew that they ultimately would reject him. I don't think all of them rejected him, but he knew that this would ultimately end in his death. And so thirdly, what we see is that it means that Jesus gave his life voluntarily. And I think this is one of the most important things we can draw out of this text. Let me put it this way. Jesus was not assassinated. Jesus was not caught off guard by his death. On the contrary, he orchestrated it. As we see the events leading up to his entry into Jerusalem, we see that he's intentionally doing things that are going to get him killed. It didn't catch him off guard. It caught everyone else off guard, but not him. And we have to see this because it is so important. We can't look past this. And even, even when you go into the, you see like the movies about Jesus, right? They often portray it as like, you know, oh no, they got Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh no, they got, I mean, it's, it wasn't like that. There are multiple instances in each of the gospel stories in which Jesus easily gets away from a crowd, easily escapes attempts to kill him or arrest him. He had no trouble doing this. In some instances, he even employs what seems to be a miracle by slipping through the crowds. Perhaps the best example of this is in John 19, when the soldiers come to capture Jesus. He's praying in the garden. When they come to arrest him to crucify him, Jesus says, which in Greek is two words. He says, I am. Actually, what they say is, we're looking for Jesus. Where's Jesus? And he says, I am. And John tells us that the soldiers all fell to the ground. This is incredible. And I think what this shows us is that Jesus could have easily not gone with them if he didn't want to. With two words out of his mouth, he caused them all to fall on the ground flat. And so what we know then is that he was very experienced at eluding the crowds, eluding the Pharisees. He had the power to declare two words and knock them flat on the ground. But something has changed in his ministry now, remember. There is but one reason for this, and that's this. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to suffer for our sakes in order to secure a way of salvation for us. Not only was he willing to suffer, but he was willing to orchestrate his own suffering. He rode into Jerusalem like this in order to get caught, in order to make them angry. See, he had his face set on death and on the cross. He had undertaken to give his life in this way as a ransom for us, that we might live forever with him. And he laid his life down on the cross willingly, purposefully, and with all the desire of his heart. Jesus did not die on accident. He was not killed by some superior foe, as if he was looking to live a long life in ministry. It's not as if he couldn't have stopped it at any time. He could have, easily. But he did this out of love. He rejoiced to give himself for us as our substitute. He didn't die because he had no other choice, but because he was willing to make his own soul an offering for our sin. 
Listen to uh, the words of J.C. Ryle. He says this way. I love this. He says, forever, let us rest our hearts on this most comfortable thought. We have a most willing and loving Savior. It was his delight to do his Father's will and to make a way for lost and guilty man to draw near to God in peace. He loved the work he had taken in hand and the poor, sinful world, you and me, which he came to save. Never, then, let us give way to the unworthy thought that our Savior does not love to see sinners coming to him and does not rejoice to save them. He who was a most willing sacrifice on the cross is also a most willing Savior at the right hand of God. He is just as willing to receive sinners who come to him now for peace as he was to die for sinners then when he held back his power and willingly suffered on the cross. So, there it is. That's, that's what Jesus entering Jerusalem on that Sunday 2,000 years ago is all about. That's why this is so important. It teaches us about Jesus, our Savior. I want to close then with a, with a series of, of questions to reflect on. Let's just open our hearts in this time. We're probably all at different areas, different stages. Some of us maybe have grown up in the church. Some of us may have been Christians for a long time. And yet, I believe that God has something to say to us in this. Some of you may never have known Christ. Maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you, you don't believe and you're not sure about this. And it's, it's interesting. I encourage you to open up your heart also. So as we go through these questions, just reflect on this. So the first question that, that I want to ask is, are you among those who rejoice at the coming of Jesus or among those who scoff and mock at him? You see, like I said before, there's two options. There's those who rejoice in Jesus' lordship and those who reject it. You know, sometimes you hear people say, man, you just need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But I'm not going to tell you to do that because you don't have a choice. Jesus has all authority on earth and heaven. He has authority over you. You don't need to make him the Lord of your life. He already is. Whether you believe it or not, that's the difference. That's the difference. Whether you will bow the knee to him or reject him, he's still Lord. And he's still sovereign. So that's one of the questions. Are you among those who rejoice at the coming of Jesus or among those who scoff and mock him? You can change allegiances today. That's the good news. Bow the knee to Christ and just like we just heard, he is gracious and willing to receive sinners. Not perfect, good men and women, but sinners. Sinful people. Amen. The next question is this. Are you like those who only loved and celebrated Jesus because what he could do for them? In other words, do you love Jesus for who he is or because what he can give you, what he can do for you? You see, the Jews at this time, some of them, not all of them, were praising Jesus coming into the city because they thought, this is it. He's going to conquer the Romans. Yes. But what happens when he didn't fulfill their expectations? They say, ah, kill this guy. We don't want anything to do with him. And I fear that some of us are like this today. And you see, there's an easy test for this. What happens when God takes away things in your life? When a person... It could be a job. It could be anything. Do you begin to reject him? Do you begin to get angry at him? And say, what are you doing? Why are you taking this from me? In that instance, you're becoming just like the Jews who said, 
you're not going to deliver us from the Romans, then we want nothing to do with you. You're not going to make my life happy and prosperous and great, then Jesus, I want nothing to do with you. And so that's the the question I want to ask is, are you willing to celebrate Jesus even in the darkness? Even when you can't, can't see the end of the road? That's the sign of true faith. You may be hearing this and you may think, well, well I, I want that. I just don't feel the strength to do that. That's okay. That's a beautiful place to be. So would you, my encouragement to you is would you pray for that strength? Would you pray for that faith in him? God is so willing to give that. We were just studying in Captivate the other week, John 4, where Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, speaking of the Holy Spirit, she has no idea what he's talking about. But he's, he knows what he's talking about. He says, if you would have only asked me, I would give you the living water. And so she does, and he gives it to her. We see that. And so I think Jesus is saying to us, if you would only ask, it would be given to you. And so if you, you feel yourself lacking the strength, lacking the faith in him, ask. If you feel yourself saying, you know, up until this point, I, I've rejected Jesus. I have. I've scoffed him. I've mocked at him. I, I'm so guilty. What do I do? Ask him. Say, Jesus, give me faith in you. I want to believe I don't know how. Ask him. I want your spirit. I I want this life. I I want to acknowledge your kingship. Ask him. Bow your knee to him today. Turn from your ways in which you've gone your own way. So my encouragement is that. Let's not rejoice in the things Jesus does for us only, but also in who Jesus is. And ultimately, the question is this. Will you meet Jesus riding on a donkey or will you meet Jesus riding on a war horse? Again, there's two options. And we talk about Jesus riding in. That's what we have. We have Jesus on a donkey coming in peace and we have Jesus riding on a white horse made for war. What do I mean? Well, this is what I mean. See, Jesus right now is extending peace to all people everywhere. This is what he's doing. In In a metaphorical sense, Jesus is still on the donkey. He's still in the the donkey mode in a sense of saying, peace is available to you. Will you come to me for it? He's offering it. He's not ready to make war yet on those who reject him. But there is a day. You see, the offer of salvation is open to everyone, all people everywhere right now. But there is a day when it will no longer be that way. There's a day coming soon the Bible tells us, when Jesus will return. This will be the final and ultimate triumphal entry. This is what I think should actually be called the triumphal entry. This time there will be no donkey because there will be no peace. Rather, there will be war. Jesus will return on a war horse bringing judgment on all those who have rejected his kingship. Only those who bow their knee to King Jesus can enter his kingdom. We see this clearly in the words of Revelation 19. This is the Apostle John describing the ultimate and final triumphal entry of Jesus. This is what he says. Then I saw the heaven opened, and behold. Now, as we go through this, contrast this with the way Jesus came into Jerusalem the first time. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. No more peace. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. 
He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, this is how he will meet those who reject him. But to those who trust in him, he brings healing, salvation, help, strength, love, joy, and eternal life. Friends, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of peace. As of right now, the offer of salvation and peace stands open. Embrace it with open arms. The kingdom is open. I pray that you would bow your knee this morning to our great king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that he did not come first to make war, but that he came to offer us peace, God. Lord, I pray that you would turn all of our hearts towards you. Lord, you are so gracious and merciful, so good to us, Lord. Heal us this morning. Give us faith this morning. Give us strength in your son this morning, Lord. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.